Well, thanks for joining me for this special podcast concerning coronavirus, Kenneth Copeland, and King Jesus. Perhaps you find that title somewhat humorous, but as a pastor, I have noticed all three being talked about in different ways. And so I especially wanted to provide some biblical perspective on all three of these, uh, mainly for our flock here at First Family. And yet I know others will listen in too. And so to mark this date and to ensure that it's heard within the proper context of our current crisis, I want to make sure I note, starting off, that today is April 15th, 2020. Now, these three items, coronavirus, Kenneth Copeland, and King Jesus, have come under scrutiny over the last several weeks. And so to help you and to help me gain some clarity on these three items, I've selected four topics that relate to these three. And I want to unpack them, at least to some degree, with the hope that you, the listener, will be able to better navigate the various voices you hear during COVID-19. Admittedly, I am one of those voices, but it's my intention to only bring my voice into the ring of this discussion to echo what God's Word, His voice, says to us in times exactly like this. Let's begin, shall we? Many have wondered, did God send the virus? Or did Satan? Is this virus from the Lord or from the devil? Now, what's really at stake in this question, in this discussion, is the sovereignty of God. So let's talk about that for a minute as our first topic, God's sovereignty. By definition, sovereignty is God's full and total control of humankind. It's the understanding that he has full power, sole authority, complete right. Job 42.2, Isaiah 46.10, and many other verses clearly, explicitly declare this. God's sovereignty uh, is over natural evil, which would be disasters, as well as moral evil, which would be decisions, sinful ones by man and so forth. In a nutshell, sovereignty means God is in control. And like I said, this is taught and seen throughout the entirety of Scripture. Let me, let me just give you a couple, or actually let me give you several examples of this just in brief fashion. Do you recall Joseph and the famine that Israel was under? It was actually sent by God to drive them to Egypt where they could be rescued by Joseph who he had placed there years earlier. All of that was providentially under the sovereign hand of God. There's Job and his suffering. Um, as God permitted and allowed Job to experience attacks from Satan. There's the captivity of Israel, both to Assyria and to Babylon, as a judgment from the Lord for their forgetfulness regarding the Sabbath years. And then, of course, there's the subsequent return of Israel, uh, specifically Judah, through Cyrus's decree, a pagan king that God was sovereignly controlling. Uh, recall the early church and that famine there in that part of the world and, and then also the persecution of Acts 8 and how God used that to actually disperse the church and to actually begin world evangelization. And I think one of the most remarkable examples is Paul and his uh, lifelong suffering after his conversion, which actually God told him on the day of his conversion, this is why I've called you and chosen you to suffer much for my name's sake. And so God uses his sovereign control, full power, his complete authority, his sole right to be God, to accomplish his purposes, to bring human history to, its, uh, to his 
end game. So I don't think the question we should be asking is who sent the virus. The question we should be asking and answering is who is in control of the virus. And regardless of who sent it, the answer is God is in control. He is sovereign. And so that means that we can trust the end result to be for God's purposes. And that is always a good thing. Even if in that good thing, we find ourselves at times in great difficulty. Because God's ends are always and will always be good. Do you recall Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 in which Joseph, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so th this is really the issue at hand. It, it's, it's, a, it's probably futile and a waste of time to ask who sent this. What we should rest in is that God controls this. And I'd remind you, there is no part-time sovereignty. God is in full control all the time. So in the middle of COVID-19, I want you to rest in God's control of this and how he uses all things to fulfill his purposes, which is why I find it so baffling that at least one American pastor has felt the need to try and control the virus himself. Kenneth Copeland, he's done this on at least two occasions uh, to give you the dates, and you can see these on different social media platforms, March 29th and April 5th, on those two Days he demanded the coronavirus to leave America. He declared, in fact, America to be healed on the spot. He demanded the virus, which he, which he asserted was from Satan, uh, to be defeated, to be finished. And without even a bit of humility, Kenneth Copeland took it upon himself to act as if he was in control of the virus. Now, is there a problem with that? You bet there is. You see, he has for years been preaching that false man-centered message, the, the prosperity gospel. And it, it's basically this, that we have final control, that we can demand our own healing and our own prosperity. And frankly, he's just flat wrong. So I want to address this issue, specifically of healing. I want to address that for a moment in relation to the coronavirus by asking this question. Are we guaranteed healing from this virus? or really just from any illness for that matter? And do we have the right to command it, even demand it? Now, those who say that we do usually use Isaiah 53 as their go-to text, especially the phrase in verse five that says, by his stripes, we are healed. Now, a few words about that. I won't pretend those words mean something different. Uh, the word healed means exactly that. It means healing. It's a proper understanding in translation. But in context, more is in play than just physical healing. The overriding context is spiritual healing, forgiveness, atonement of sins, which is why words like transgressions and punishment, sin, iniquities, they are used a lot more. And furthermore, the one with the authority in this chapter is the Messiah, Christ Jesus, the long-awaited one from God. So yes, he can command healing. And he did in his ministry on the earth as recorded in the Gospels, which is, by the way, the direct fulfillment of this chapter. He was the suffering servant who had the power to, on demand and by command, heal instantaneously. Several uh, times he healed, he actually referenced this chapter. And so the question is this then, and this is what we kind of wonder and what I wonder, 
based on what Copeland is doing and how he's preached, do we now have that same exact power? And the answer is no. Does God? Yes. So the question is not, does the power exist, but rather who can command it? It is God's power and it's his to command. Now, let me be quick to say that that God does reveal his power through and for his people via spiritual gifts as one of the ways he does that. One of those gifts is uh, gifts of healing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. So I am a firm believer in physical healing. The Bible says it is right to pray for it in faith. So yes, God heals and we should not be afraid to ask him to do exactly that. Elders pray over the sick. All of us pray for the sick. Every bit of that is right and good and biblical. We desire to know and see God's power displayed in healing. But it is not biblical to assume we act as God. And this is the problem with Kenneth Copeland and his approach to the coronavirus. He's proudly acting as God, not humbling asking God. Truthfully, just watching those two moments in which he demanded these things, it really left me thinking he was just shy of blasphemy. There were times he used words that Christ used on the cross and you got this impression that he was almost taking this, this place of Christ and, and having this kind of authority that uh, there's no real biblical pattern for. It, they were very presumptuous actions. You see, Isaiah 53 does not afford him a stature or position to command healing or to bring it about on demand. And to think it does is simply a poor, shallow understanding of that section of Scripture. Nonetheless, the word healing is used, and it is a proper translation. Furthermore, we know God heals. So let's just ask the obvious question. What can we expect in regards to healing? And specifically to coronavirus, what should our posture be for those who have it and for those in our country who are enduring it? Let me say this quite simply and clearly. We position ourselves for healing as God wills. We don't produce healing as we will. See, this is why we are exhorted to pray according to God's will. We're exhorted this way multiple times in the New Testament. And make no mistake, suffering is part of God's will at times. Peter assured us of this in 1 Peter 4, 19. Paul did in Philippians 3, 10. And so there are times God's power is revealed for healing. There are times it's revealed to help us endure suffering. It is always God's power and it comes according to his will. And I think this is really the core issue with Kenneth Copeland and the prosperity gospel preachers and followers. They seem unwilling to acknowledge that knowing Christ means sharing in his suffering. That's what Peter and Paul both declared. You see, that's the pathway to intimacy. And it's apparently what they don't want to do. And so they assume authority they don't have to either command healing or to bring it about on demand. But when we demand, we move from faith to force. And force is not the pleasing posture for the follower of Christ. Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us that faith is the posture, the position of, of pleasing Christ. And so watch this. Faith is our position. And then miracles or the supernatural, they're God's prerogative. And in all frankness, if, if, if one really thinks he or she can command and demand healing, then please go to the hospitals, 
the nursing homes, the places where those currently with coronavirus are being cared for, and do exactly that, demand, command healing. The truth is, they won't. Why? Because they know intuitively and instinctively they can't. It's not their power to command. So I would just encourage anyone who leans into this way of thinking for the sake of humility and humanity, quit pretending you can and instead take the posture of faith, not pride. It's faith that pleases God, not fear or force. Now I realize that some will hear this and they'll make assumptions about me that perhaps I'm a cessationist or I don't believe in healing or the power of God. Quite the contrary. I am a continuationist. I fully believe God heals and I long to see God's power displayed among his people, especially when they gather. I'm simply admitting, moreover, I'm asserting that we don't control that power. We are conduits of that power. God is in control. He's the sovereign, all-powerful one. Now, let me remind you, this is how all spiritual gifts work. They're mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, as well as Romans, Ephesians, and 1 Peter. You see, through the Holy Spirit, God dispenses the gifts sovereignly as he wills. And this includes gifts of healing, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. He's the dispenser, we're the recipient. And so we ask for his power and his gifts. We do not assume we can command it, control it, or demand it. Some further insight regarding healing and sickness, okay? Those who claim we can command it and demand it, that we have authority over it ourselves, they do so because they say sickness is part of the curse. It's part of the fall. And so since Christ has accomplished redemption at the cross, he's also accomplished full healing as well at the cross. But let's be clear. Yes, sickness as a reality is a result of the fall. Now, not all sickness comes from specific sins, but in general, sickness started when Adam sinned. That's true. And yes, it's also true that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. This is true that one day all sickness will be over because sin will be over. But that's exactly the point. It will be one day. And an honest approach to this coming reversal must include an admittance that this reversal of the curse also follows the same pattern as the revealing of the kingdom, which is progressive, incremental. It has an already but not yet understanding. And this is what I think the, 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 the prosperity gospel preachers and followers fail to really grasp. Now, now, without hesitation, I agree, all sickness will be obliter obliterated when the kingdom comes in full. When Christ returns and it is on earth as it is in heaven, yes, that's the coming of Christ. No more sickness or tears. To deny that God's kingdom is one of a progressive revealing is actually to deny uh, even what Jesus preached anew. For not all sick people were healed instantaneously when Jesus came. Everything and everyone is currently waiting for the consummation of the kingdom of God. And to demand healing or to command healing immediately in the here and now, as if this is the ultimate version of the kingdom, well, like I said, that's a shallow understanding not only of the text in Isaiah, but of the eschaton in general. You see, healing mirrors all other items that are awaiting redemption, such as our bodies, creation, which by the way, according to Romans 8, is groaning, 
It's the coming of Christ that ultimately establishes life with no sickness, not our command. So in this medical disruption brought about by the coronavirus, yes, pray for healing. Ask God to miraculously heal, to show his power on behalf of those who are sick. But do not assume we know what we don't know, like where it came from, you know, God or Satan. And don't command God. Instead, ask God. All of the earth is at his discretion, not our direction. Ours is to posture ourselves humbly under his power and be conduits of it, not the commanders or demanders of it. So as we posture ourselves humbly to endure COVID-19, should we also have that same humble attitude towards those in authority over us, such as our government? A few words here about biblical civics to help our faith family in this time. Because some have asked me if this current disruption borders on persecution. By this, they mean, has the strong suggestion to not meet for a while, to not congregate, has that been uh, close to persecution? And my answer is clearly no. Now, perhaps we are learning to suffer in some ways, but we are not being persecuted by our government. Truthfully, Our government has asked us out of love to care for our neighbors. And so we're coming alongside them to do exactly that, to help our communities. Now, why is this not uh, persecution or why does this not border on that? It's because we're not being singled out. If we were, that would be an issue of religious liberty that could result in persecution, such as what's going on in Kentucky or at least went on in Kentucky uh, last weekend, uh, Easter weekend. There were some who wanted to have a drive-in service The governor there uh, said he would target Christians who met and get their license plates. Now, in that situation, he was singling out a single group, and so there was religious liberties at stake. Uh, I think at the last minute, a judge overruled that, so I'm not sure if that occurred as was predicted, but that was the situation for a moment. That's not what's happening here in Iowa. So currently, no, we are not in a situation of persecution. We're not being singled out. So work with your leaders, follow them humbly, obey them. Romans 13 unquestionably calls us to this. I would add, however, that this could be a time when some slippery precedents are being set. For instance, what if churches, let's say next winter or in five winters, um, were to become the one single place that um, the government said you could not congregate you were required not to meet because of medical concerns in large groups. That could be an issue of religious liberty if we were singled out as perhaps the cause of a widespread community illness every winter. So a form of that could pose issues and problems. So so we need to be faithful to learn how to continue to meet together in different ways when it isn't that difficult, like right now. And I understand coronavirus has caused some disruption It's been somewhat difficult, but it's not been as difficult perhaps as we've been led to believe. But let's learn to be faithful in this time in which we have some minor disruption. Otherwise, we won't be really able to handle it when it actually is tougher. You see, if you find it hard to accommodate currently, let me encourage you to deepen your spiritual resolve. This is really not any sort of persecution at all. And if you find this disruption hard, What will you do when it actually is a time of persecution? 
when you are actually singled out for your faith and asked to stop obeying clear commands from our Lord. I thank God that we've had an opportunity like this to sort of practice what it could look like to operate in a different manner uh, because this helps us prepare for a time when it may be necessary in a greater way later. We just don't know, but we're getting some forewarning perhaps. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to kind of practice. So speaking of disruption, let me lastly speak with you about that topic, cultural disruption, which is exactly what the coronavirus has done here. It suddenly disrupted all of our lives as we knew them. Now, in times of cultural disruption, uh, at least four things occur. This is what every single crisis will do. A crisis always increases clarity. It always speeds decision-making. It always resets patterns, and it always enables growth opportunities. And this is so true in this current coronavirus crisis, in this current cultural disruption. I mean, think about the clarity you've got now about things like like your family, your time, your priorities, even things like groceries and supplies. Yeah, like even toilet paper, right? Consider how many of us have re-experienced the joy of family dinners or the break from endless weekend tournaments and games and practices or the release from some negotiable travel that suddenly allowed us to simply be present more with our family. The quarantine can seem like an interruption, but it's actually been a, a blessing in many ways. You've reset some patterns. You've seen some growth opportunities. You've gained some clarity, all from a disruption. In fact, did you know a disruption is exactly what often brings life to an organization that is, that is just tipping the bell curve and they're on their way to a death rattle? You see, it takes a disruption to interrupt that bell curve they're on. They don't realize it, but they're about to kind of go over the top and they'll be on their, their slide downward. And it's, it's a disruption that's necessary to interrupt that current bell curve and to begin a new one where they're suddenly having to adjust and change and then they're starting to go up again. See, this is what's necessary, a disruption. And a disruption allows a new bell curve to begin and often it's the very disruption that is the source of new life and a new beginning. So to all who lead in any way, whether a family, a, a business, a team, a small group, a unit, or even just yourself. Embrace this time of disruption as a doorway to growth. This is what leaders do. They see crises as runways for growth and positive change. We don't rejoice in the disruption or the crisis or the, even the trauma it brings, but we also understand this. This is often what brings about opportunity and vision. And this is especially true for the church. The church has always thrived in times of disruption. The gospel has always expanded most when the people of God were constrained the most. Why? Because our dependence is so necessary and evident. And when we're dependent, we are empowered. That's the kind of people that reach whole communities, countries, They start mission movements. They create new avenues of impact. They embrace innovation that gets the gospel to more people. It's those kind of people, dependent people, who know they are completely relying upon God and his power to even survive. So if you're feeling the weight of this coronavirus disruption, you may actually be in the perfect place for an eruption, an eruption of God's sovereign power in your life that will open up new opportunities spur on new growth, 
reaching new people by God's power and for God's glory. Remember, God is the sovereign one, and he can, by his power, do exactly that in times when we are weak, even barely surviving, perhaps frail. Oh, may God, by his grace, give us in this time of COVID-19, the attitude described in 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. My prayer for you, listener, is that in this time of coronavirus, Kenneth Copeland and King Jesus, your gaze will be firmly set on King Jesus as the only sovereign one who's working his will in all things, in all times. <music> 